The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. This is the first Squawkbox Europe of the year with Karen Cho, myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. So the S&P 500 closes out last year with its best annual gain since 2013, whilst Netflix has crowned the index's top performing stock of the past 10 years, surging more than 4,000% over the decade. Chinese stocks ringing in the new year with a bang as Beijing cuts its reserve requirement for banks yet again, giving a $115 billion boost to the slowing economy. New Year's Day protests in Hong Kong end in violence as anti-government demonstrators flood the streets in the first rally of 2020. Pro-Iranian militia supporters withdraw from the American embassy in Baghdad after Washington deploys extra troops to the area amid rising tensions between the US and Tehran. Plus, big questions mount over Carlos Ghosn's escape from Japan whilst a lawyer says the ex-Nissan boss will hold a press conference on January 8th. Happy New Year, everyone, and Happy New Decade as we look to start out uh, a brand new window on the market. So let's just take stock of where we've traveled from, because uh, it is by this context that is quite relevant for investors as we start out the year record levels. The S&P 500 over the last 10 years, look at this stunning change, 189% delivered. So a very strong performance is how we wrapped up uh, the, the past 10 years. When it comes to just the past year, some of that achieved uh, in 2019, gains of more than 28% over the course of the year, contributing to that 189%. Now, as we switch over the charts, so take a look at some of the other comparisons. So you can see the Dow Jones over the same period of time, 173%. So very similar percentage gains uh, to the S&P 500. From there, you start to see an even stronger performance from the tech-heavy Nasdaq as a, a huge concentration of earnings and growth was really much uh, around those FANG stocks, technology names that are housed in the Nasdaq, 295%. So playing that trend around tech was certainly a beneficial one for investors. And as it plays out by a single name exposure, Netflix, uh, a very disruptive name that changed viewing habits uh, across the, the past decade. The percentage gain wasn't reflected in the numbers. Yes, it was more than 4,000% uh, for Netflix stocks for the last 10 years. Now, let's just take uh, a look at where we are at markets as we begin uh, 2020 with a bang. Uh, Asian markets getting a little bit of a spring in their steps from some of the China's authority initiatives early on. Let's go out to Tanvir for more in Singapore. Tanvir. Thanks very much for that, uh, Karen. It's been a muted start to 2020 across Asia, but not too bad, you would have to say, uh, on balance. I think we are looking at uh, marginal grains uh, coming in for most of the key markets. And the Cospi is the ranked underperformer, down about 0.7% as we speak. Even though, you know, the PMIs released in the region didn't look that bad. In fact, there's been uh, a fair amount of pickup in export orders. Uh, the uh, the trend over there has moved into expansion zone. Even so, I think uh, the larger worry is about growth uh, and how Cospi gets impacted or Korea gets impacted because of the U.S.-China trade situation. And that's why... 
that's impacting sentiment for that market. But largely, other than that, you're looking at a fairly green screen. I do want to mark what's happened in the greater China markets because news flow has been thick and fast there. You've had the PBOC cut uh, the triple R for the eighth time since early 2018 uh, and has injected about $115 billion into the economy. Now, that is likely to give a facelift uh, to markets in the very near term. Uh, and what we are expecting is that that is likely to support economic activity in the region as well. If you look at the official PMI numbers, as well as the private gauge that got released earlier today, which is the Chaishan PMI, uh, they are indicating that perhaps not bottoming out, but the economy seems to have stabilized. And the slowdown that we were seeing for the better part of 2019 in China, that seems to have troughed. Other than that, uh, for now, it seems like the markets are latching on to hopes of a U.S.-China trade deal being inked. The first phase, that is, mind you, uh, by Jan 15th. And that speculation is driving sentiment in the region, which is why markets are completely ignoring the unrest in Hong Kong. The Hang Seng bouncing back about uh, 1% higher as we speak and are also ignoring tensions in the Middle East. I want to quickly wrap up with what's happened uh, in the Singapore market. The Straits Times had about half a percent and you've had the Q4 GDP release come in in Singapore which has indicated a growth of about 0.8% in line with expectations and higher than the growth reported in Q3, largely led by services. And that just begs the question on in this growth revival uh, that's being touted as a big theme for 2020, are we going to be seeing services pick up the slack that we're seeing in the manufacturing sector? And is it really going to be a toss-up between the two? And does that then cap the upside uh, to the growth recovery story that we are likely to experience in the year? But start of the new year... Let's stick to some happy news, and it looks like a fairly happy screen uh, getting into uh, 2020. Back to you guys. Tanvi, thank you very much for uh, joining us around the set. Now, Mike Gallagher, Managing Director at Continuum Economics. Uh, Mike, uh, really just one question. Where to from here out of record highs, and uh, can we see much more blue sky given we've got such rich valuations now in the U.S. markets? Well, I think you've, you've put it um, succinctly there. The U.S. is very overvalued, and I think um, this year the attention will switch from the US-China trade war to the presidential election. And that's really going to mean that the US um, equity market probably just ends up treading uh, water. So the question is, where are the opportunities? And we think the opportunities are um, elsewhere. They're in sort of um, key emerging markets. They're also in places like um, the, the UK, which has um, lagged behind. Um, so I think you'll sort of see a rotation of um, focus in equity markets in 2020. Will you see a rotation in U.S. markets, though, as well? I mean, what we've seen in recent months and weeks in the States has been some concern of bidding up of some defences, but technology names a go-to area of growth. But as we now go to the next stage where markets are a little bit more comfortable about the growth story, do we see even more rotation underlying those U.S. markets, maybe not reflected at the index level, but underlying stocks? I think you will certainly see some rotation in that direction um, in the first quarter because um, we've got sort of the growth agenda back on. So if you look at, for example, some of the PMIs that we had in Asia uh, today, they're showing a better uh, picture and that all feeds in that, to that kind of narrative. I think the problem is that once you actually get into February, then you're going to get the, uh, the democratic um, race starting in earnest. And it looks like Biden probably won't do that well initially in Iowa and New Hampshire. And that will lead sort of some people to say, well, could Warren or Sanders really sort of uh, become the nominee? And that's a real threat to sort of uh, those growth sectors in the U.S. equity market. You've already covered so much ground. So let me just uh, recap on one or two points as well. If things are looking um, better on the U.S.-China relationship and we understand 
that there will be a trade deal signed, a phase one on January 15th. Why are the Chinese cutting their triple R? If things are so good and there's going to be so much stimulus coming in that's going to abate all those concerns that are trans-Pacific, why are they cutting their triple R? They're cutting their triple R because um, the Chinese slowdown story is not just a function of uh, the trade war. It's also a function of the cleanup of the financial system. So if you dig deeper in uh, the Chinese uh, data, what you actually find is that the big banks in China have been expanding lending um, in 2019. But the second-tier banks and the shadow banking system, they've been constraining their lending because it's been a big clean-up exercise. So the Chinese authorities will probably undertake further stimulus this year because there's a domestic rebalancing. So that's part of the slowdown story beyond the trade war that's impacted uh, but, China. But again, it, it's like the Western story. The Chinese are trying to learn from how the West does capitalism, good and bad. Um, but the bad part is they're expanding their debt load, whether it be at a sovereign level, whether it be at a municipal level, whether it be at a corporate level, or indeed a private individual level. They, they're getting up to Western levels as quickly as they can, aren't they? This is a stored up problem, isn't it? Certainly you're right, Steve, that um, the acceleration in uh, debt since 2007 um, has been really sort of um, rapid in, uh, in China. However, it's also about debt servicing um, levels. And if you actually edge um, interest rates um, a little bit um, lower, it helps your debt um, servicing. And part of the story there is to keep the plates spinning in sort of uh, China, to keep growth going uh, and sustain that uh, debt load. And and that, I think, they've still got another couple of years before they they hit um, severe problems. But again, this is the Western disease as well as diabetes, which we're exporting to the Chinese as well, that the fact of the matter is, we, we, the Western disease is we borrow too much and then we have to keep these rates stunningly low and we have to keep our central banks under enormous pressure not to raise rates because of those servicing costs. Well, actually, don't we need a few people to start actually having problems with their servicing so we get better quality loans to better quality individuals, corporations and countries, rather than worrying about those people who have actually got some pretty unsustainable debts on their books? Well, I I agree with you personally. (laughs) The problem is, from a policy perspective, um, you've actually got to keep going until you reinvent the model. And partly China is reinventing the model. They've sort of Mm. um, shifted um, from manufacturing and um, investment to a more balanced economy that includes the consumer and technology now. And that's still the game plan over the next um, five years. Yeah, I guess we're using China as a metaphor for everything that I feel could well come to the fore at some stage. Those of us who have been banging on for the last decade wrongly, and I hold my hands up, wrongly saying that the debt, sleeping, lion, dragon, whatever you want to call it, is still there. And as debts have been exacerbated, people like me who've worried about it, pff, forget it. Just Perhaps buy the market. this is your just, decade. Just buy the market. This is your decade, Just buy the market. Don't worry about debt. Just buy bonds. Don't worry about debts. You just carry on buying everything out there, everybody. Mike, thanks very much. I know you're on the same page. We've all been around too long to not be. Uh, right, uh, here we go. This is Karen's era, really. Potential developments in 5G, cloud technology and consumer electronics could help tech continue its impressive run. Ah, well, that's interesting, given I've just had two colleagues around the desk or two peers talking about rich valuations. Well, Josh Lipton is here with uh, CNBC's, I don't know mine, but they're CNBC's predictions for the sector in 2020. Tech is on a tear, the best performing sector this year. Here are three predictions for next year. First, Apple makes its 5G move. The global 5G rollout is underway, promising super-fast wireless speeds. Apple will unveil its own 5G iPhone in September. 
but it won't be just new hardware. Expect new 5G-enabled experiences too, perhaps in augmented reality. You can bet that with a major network upgrade, Apple will introduce new features. Second, hardware spending softens. CEOs could spend less on technology next year. Vendors from Dell to HP have highlighted macroeconomic challenges. That could be bad news for hardware makers, but good news for others, like cloud giants, including Amazon and Microsoft, and subscription services like Zoom, technology that could be cheaper for corporate customers. Third, make or break for wearables. Apple dominates wearables with its popular watch and AirPods. Now it's time for rivals to make a choice, throw in the towel or step it up with acquisitions. For example, Google plans to buy Fitbit or introduce competitive products like Microsoft with its new Surface earbuds coming in the spring. Yeah, um, I actually got a Christmas present, which was uh, may or may not be mentioned in that package, but I can't uh, carry on. Huh? Christmas present for yourself. It was from someone else, but I chose it and made sure it was ordered in time in a timely fashion as well. It was actually from Santa. Uh, Coming up on the show, we're going to speak more about China's central uh, bank cutting its triple R and what the ramifications are. What Mike was talking about when he said there are more problems than just the trade war for China. More on that and plenty more when we come back. And uh, just a reminder to start out 2020, if you can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. You can head to cbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast to have a listen and download today's episode. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Welcome back. Around 400 people were arrested in Hong Kong on New Year's Day after an anti-government rally turned violent, sparking clashes between police and activists. Emily has more from Hong Kong. And and the point is, Emily, these things are always peaceful uh, until they're violent. And I've attended enough protests in Europe to know that the vast majority of people are peaceful, but it's the violence that takes the attention. Yeah, that's right. It's the fringe uh, that uh, sometimes uh, takes the action and takes the credit for uh, what has happened. But uh, we've been watching uh, some protests and there was uh, the lunchtime protest in Central today uh, on the first business day back in the new year 2020. Uh, They call it Wale Lunch or Lunch with You in Central. And that took place at about 12.45 p.m. local time, lasted for one hour. And that one was largely peaceful. Uh, There was no hiccups there. About uh, 200 people attended. That is my own estimates, uh, including the media, and that was largely peaceful, and then they dispersed uh, without any issue. Now, that follows the New Year's Day march that was yesterday. Uh, It started just before 3 p.m. local time and was called off after about two and a half hours by police because it got violent. Uh, The protesters blocked roads, they threw petrol bombs, vandalized at least five HSBC branches and ATMs, Uh, and that becomes, as HSBC SBC becomes the latest target of the protesters. You can see behind me, that is Stitt, uh, very 
very famous as you can see people are taking a picture of it not only because it is uh, the brand of the bank uh, this uh, Britain's biggest bank but because of the vandalism that it uh, underwent yesterday you can see the eyes and the nose have been uh, painted red and a part of it is all black blackened because of the fact that protesters try to put it on fire it was torched last night so this is sit here and 50 meters in front of me is the other lion Stephen both of them being attacked by uh, vandalism and and protesters last night as HSBC becomes the latest target by these protesters. Why do you ask? Uh, it has anything to do with HSBC? Uh, because of an account, a corporate account under Spark Alliance that was suspended and $9 million in funds frozen, allegedly used for, for a pro supporting the protesters. Now, HSBC on their account saying that the decision to do so was unrelated to the Hong Kong situation, that the account was used for a different purpose intended or stated. Now, they are just adhering to global regulations. Now, in a statement last night, HSBC says they strongly condemn the acts of vandalism and damage directed at the premises repeatedly in the last few days. As a result of that, they have suspended some of the bank branches as well as the ATMs out of safety for their customers and employees. They, they apologize for the inconvenience. They went on to say that they believe the rule of law is essential to Hong Kong's status as an international financial center, and they look forward to the speedy resolution of the issues. Hong Kong government yesterday says that they will spare no effort to tackle the problems arising from the saga, However, the top priority now is to stop violence and restore social order as soon as possible. So now, as you all know, we've got something like seven months of protests in the territory, all to do with this now withdrawn extradition bill, which kicked off on June the 9th. To date, as close to 7,000 people have been arrested, 400 yesterday, which makes it the biggest mass arrest in just a single day. Uh, we got something like 2,000 people that are, have been arrested aged between 11 and 19. 2,500 of them are students. Uh, there's no signs that they're going to be letting up anytime soon. Uh, in the protests that, that just uh, finished, uh, the lunchtime protests, of course, they were chanting their slogans, asking for their five demands. Of course, one of them has already been uh, given to them, and that is the withdrawal of the extradition bill. But they're asking for universal suffrage. They want an independent investigation by the police into the handling of the protesters, as well as amnesty for some of those arrested uh, and being called rioters. So that's the latest situation on HSBC uh, in front of the HSBC headquarters. Keeping track of the, how the stock is trading today on the first day of trade, uh, unscathed by what has happened in terms of the attacks. Uh, only minimal gains for HSBC, the Hang Seng heavyweight, and the uh, Hang Seng index uh, traded quite nicely on the first day of trade in the year 2020. Back to you guys. Emily, excellent. Thank you very much indeed for that. Just a quick question to our guest host for this hour, Mike Gallagher. Um, in terms of what this is doing to Hong Kong's economy and to China's economy. Do you want to just expand a little bit on your thoughts on this at the moment? Certainly. I think there's two different effects. I think in terms of Hong Kong, it's casting a cloud over the Hong Kong economy. We've pushed into a recession. Uh, we're not going to see a quick recovery because um, it doesn't seem as though we'll actually see an end to the, uh, the protests at the, uh, the moment. Um, but provided that um, we don't actually see um, an escalation um, namely, um, the Chinese authorities cracking down in uh, Hong Kong. 
um, it's not going to spill over to the wider Chinese economy. So it doesn't have sort of uh, an impact in either southern China Just or, or elsewhere. Has this meant actually that, and when we saw this, when there was the Hong Kong exchanges, uh, had a look at the London Stock Exchange, is there a rivalry in other regions of China who will be quite pleased with what they're seeing in Hong Kong because it means they can potentially make a bid to become the preeminent financial centre in greater China? Well, certainly, I mean, if you look at from Shanghai's perspective, um, over uh, the next 15, 20 years, um, Shanghai will be sort of trying to take um, that baton away from uh, Hong Kong. So, yes, there is um, okay. certainly potentially a long-term positive impact for certain other parts of China. Okay. All right, brilliant. Let's move on. Uh, talking of China, lots more stories, including China has temporarily halted the Shanghai-London Stock Connect scheme, citing political tensions. This, according to Reuters, the UK's stance over the Hong Kong protests has been seen as a problem, whilst Beijing is waiting to see how the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, handles the issue. The scheme was created as a way to improve London's relationship with Beijing, whilst also allowing China to open up its markets. China's PBOC, as we mentioned, says it will lower the levels of reserves banks must hold, freeing up around $115 billion in funds to boost a slowing economy. It's the eighth time the central bank has currently reserve ratio requirement since early 2018. The triple R rate will stand at 12.5% when the cut takes effect on January 6th. Uh, growth in China's manufacturing sector continued in December, according to a private survey. The Kaishin manufacturing PMI came in at 51.5. That is above the 50-point mark that indicates an expansion. Still, the figure missed uh, expectations for a reading of 51.7. A rise in the orders boosted the print in a month where the US and China struck a phase one trade deal, easing tensions between the two countries. China's decision to implement temporary tariff cuts on more than 850 products came into effect on Wednesday, according to the country's 2020 tariff schedule. The finance ministry had said that the addition of over 100 items to last year's list was to cope with local shortages amid a slowing economy. Pork and avocados are among the included imports, which were announced days after news emerged of China agreeing to increase agricultural imports from the US as part of a preliminary trade deal. President Trump has set a decade for set a date, I should say, for the official signing of the phase one deal. Let's hope it's not a decade. According to his Twitter account, the ceremony will take place on the 15th of January at the White House. The U.S. leader added that he would make a subsequent trip to Beijing to begin phase two talks. A report in the South China Morning Post said that the country's vice premier, Liu He, will make the trip to Washington for the proceedings. Let's come back to Mike Gallagher for a little bit more around the trade issue that we've been talking about for a long time now. But the 15th of January, the date when we are meant to see some uh, official signing. What happens next for markets? Because we've travelled so far on this news and it feels as though the Federal Reserve has had to be somewhat nimble as a result on its policy. So what comes next for the central bank and for the economy based on phase one being done and phase two beginning? Well, um, you know, phase one, we've got to have a look at it. And, you know, phase one is certainly helpful in that we've gone from sort of a trade war situation and Phase one will be followed by a trade truce on the China front all the way through uh, 2020. Um, you're not going to be in a situation where a phase two deal can be agreed before the November uh, 2020 US presidential election. China won't do that. Trump won't do that. There's too many difficult issues. So that can is well and truly been kicked down the road. 
that that's good news for uh, for businesses because it means that the kind of trade uncertainty that uh, we've had since the middle of 2018 is not as intense and the direction of travel is better the problem the problem is that to get a meaningful boost to business investment you would need m- more substantive uh, reductions in tariffs and that's not going to be forthcoming so the market's attention will switch to elsewhere along with the uh, the fed as uh, as well so the market will be looking at the, the incoming data to see how the uh, expansion is being sustained. Right. And they'll also look at the US presidential election to see whether that impacts um, sentiment in the US. I want to believe you that we've parked the trade war over here and we can move forward to other issues. But one of the problems I see straight up is that this move by Trump to effectively push forward with phase two already, suggesting he wants to keep China on the agenda at some point. And there's a, a real issue, you've got to say, coming up to the presidential elections, that China is going to be an issue he'll bring back again and again and again, which means how does he do that? We come back to tariffs. We question whether phase one should be rolled back. I mean, you know, what are the risks around what we've already achieved? So, so you're getting a situation for Trump where he's actually sort of switching into um, consolidating his uh, his gains. He's agr- agreed a phase one deal with uh, China. He's um, agreed the, the Mexico-Canada deal and that's being pushed through in so uh, Congress. Win, so it's kind of, it's all about marketing what he's actually sort of done in the last um, couple of years to shore up his uh, his base. The idea of him going to Beijing on a trip is more to do with him getting re-elected rather than actually trying to reach some kind of phase two deal. Um, so yes, at some stage, he'll ideally want to go to, uh, to China, but it'll all be about diplomacy. It will all look good. It won't be confrontational. Dragons and pandas then, I guess. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.